at the liturgy for the Paschal Octave, namely the scriptures that the church appoints, the Gospels, the epistles from Saints Peter and Paul, the Acts of the Apostles, and even the Apocalypse, which happens later in Paschal Tide in the Office. And then of course the Old Testament, the Law, the Prophets, the Psalms, especially from the Psalms, one gets the impression of the choices that the Church makes, of the texts, that the resurrection affected a kind of cosmic shock, a universal jolt that was totally unexpected. You know, the earth trembled and quaked when God finally arose to judgment. How many times does the psalmist say, Arise, O God, arise, O God. Wake up, why are you sleeping? Finally, God wakes up unexpectedly in a way that nobody was looking for. The rabbinical sources show us and this is part of the problem with, with Jewish-Christian relations. The Jews who are not Christians will point out that this is not the Messianic hope of Israel. They were not looking for a man who would die on the cross and who would rise again. This is not part of the Messianic hope of Israel. It just isn't there. Um, any texts that speak of resurrection in the Old Testament can be explained in terms of, for instance, you know, Ezekiel's dry bones, sort of, well, this is an, about a national resurrection. This is a, a symbol of national resurrection. So, you know, uh, what you're selling us is not what we were looking for. You're saying this is our Messiah. Christ is the one who's unexpected. God comes unexpectedly. God comes in a way that nobody, even the angels, could have understood. St. Paul says that it is through the church, namely the redeemed, human beings on earth, that, that it is through the church that in heavenly places the mystery is made known, which is kind of the, the idea behind what I read to you on, on Pascha itself, the, the rather charming story of St. Dismas, the good thief, kind of marching on up to Eden with the permission slip from our Lord saying, I can get in, and the angel being very skeptical and saying, get lost. I didn't, I didn't get the memo. <laughs> well, you know, there's a sense in which uh, that's quite true, that, that even the angels are amazed at, at what has occurred. That nobody saw this coming. It's such a reversal uh, uh, that this man who was, who died such a shameful death, cursed is he who hangs on a tree. 
who became sin is now the Lord of the universe, is now the Lord of glory. Nobody could have, have seen this. And so this is God's way of saying, this is all me. This was my plan. Nobody could have foreseen it. Nobody could have guessed it. This is all grace. This is all from me. So Christ is the first fruits of them that slept, the firstborn of the dead. Meaning, he is the, the fruit that comes to maturity, ripeness before the rest. He comes early, unexpectedly. Uh, and this is important for us because Christ as the head of a new recreated humanity is the model, is the new Adam, is the one in whom we are recreated in the image and likeness of God. And so we too become Christ crucified. Christ risen, Christ ascended, Christ seated at the right hand of the Father. We become that. And so with the resurrection of Christ, this unexpected event that, that shocks all of the cosmos into a kind of amazement, this is the quantum leap if you want to speak in terms of sort of evolution, evolutionary theory, this is like the quantum leap. This is the, 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 where a new humanity begins to emerge. Um, uh, uh, this is the, the, the event, totally unexpected, that changes everything. The eruption into our world of God in a way that, that he was never present before. The liturgy speaks, interestingly enough, of these things as if they have already happened, of the end as if it's already happened. So for instance, in the Paschal homily of St. John Chrysostom, he says, Christ is risen and not one remains in the tomb. Well, is that true? In the, in the sense in which we see things sort of chronologically, no, it's, it's not true. I mean, we know people who are dead in their sins and who are part of this perishing world. Uh, so what does he mean there's not one left in the tomb? What he means is that this is the destiny of, of every human being from now on, resurrection. But that this resurrection has to be made real in the life of each person, which is why we have in today's gospel the, the Great Commission, so-called. Uh, Christ gathers the apostles to himself on a mountain, which is a symbol of the temple. He's, high, he's the high priest and the temple, standing on the mountain. They adore him, even though some still doubt, but they they get on their knees, on their hands and knees, their face to the ground and adore him. 
And he says, go out, all powers given to me in heaven and on earth, in heaven and on earth, has been given to me, meaning it was not his before, or it was, of course, in the mind of God, his by right. But through the death and resurrection, he had to go through that in order for this to be bestowed on him by his Father in a way that is real for humanity, in a way that a man now bears all power in heaven and on earth. Okay? This must be actualized in the life of each individual. So it's true that humanity has been raised from the tombs, but each and every one of us must become a part of that, that new humanity. And that means struggle. That means making alive and real what happened in baptism. St. Peter speaks of that in the epistle today. You know? uh, baptism is what has saved us, but the baptismal life must be reactivated daily, hourly, minute by minute. So the mysteries of Christ, the death and resurrection of Christ, this quantum leap, whereby we are able to be recreated in the likeness of the first fruits, the one who came unexpectedly, but who came first so that we might follow him. These mysteries must be fulfilled in each and every one of us. And I'll close with uh, a very beautiful text from St. Bernard of Clairvaux. One of his most beautiful texts, I, I would say. The name of the homily is of those in whom Christ's mysteries are as yet are not as yet fulfilled. He says this, all the things that we read concerning the Savior are medicines for our souls. Let us take heed lest it be said of us, we have healed Babylon, but she is not cured. Each one of us should think to what extent such saving mysteries are operative in him. For there are some for whom Christ has not yet been born some for whom he has not yet suffered, and some for whom he has not yet risen. For others, too, he has not yet ascended into heaven, and for yet others he has not so far sent the Holy Spirit. He, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Can that humility be working in the proud? What traces of it can be found in those whose whole desire and longing is still for earthly riches and honors? In the same way, Christ has not suffered yet for those who still shun labors and fear death. And he has not yet risen for such as are being put to death all the day by anguish, toil, and the pangs of penitence without having as yet received spiritual consolation. Had those days not yet been shortened, who would have endured it? For others, Christ has risen, but has not yet ascended. His sweet and loving presence is with them on earth. That is to say, they spend their whole day in devotion, weep at their prayers, sigh at their meditations, find all things festive and joyous, 
and through all those days a ceaseless alleluia comes from them. But they need to have this milk taken away from them so that they may learn to feed on solid food. It is expedient for them that Christ go away and that this temporary sweetness of devotion be removed. But when can they accept this? They complain that God has forsaken them and they are bereft of grace. Nevertheless, let them but wait a little. Let them abide in the city until they are endued with power from on high and receive greater graces from the Holy Spirit. Like the apostles, they have been moved up a step. They have entered on a more excellent way of charity, where their concern is not how they may weep a little, but how great a victory they may prevail over the common foe and trample Satan underfoot. So, Christ indeed is risen. Christ is born. Christ has suffered. Christ has died. Christ has risen again. Christ has ascended. Christ has sent the Holy Spirit. But each of us are in different, different mysteries. For some of us, Christ is not yet even born. For some of us, Christ has not yet suffered. For some, not yet risen. For some, yet not ascended. For some, ascended, but not yet filled with the, the, the spirit that allows them to go forth in, in a newer way, in a more perfect way, charity. So, this is a beautiful text, and, and I think we need to keep this in mind, that, that Christ the firstfruits, Christ the firstfruits is our model and that our life is a continual moving towards the new reality that he has created, the new humanity that he's created. The Christian life is that Christ may be formed within us. Christ in all of the mysteries, as, as Blessed Columba Marmion would say, Christ in his mysteries. Each one of these mysteries must be reproduced within us so that we may be part of that new humanity of which our Lord was the first fruits, the firstborn of many brethren, the firstborn of the dead. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost.